Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. Today, we're reviewing Jojo Rabbit. Uh, we have reviewed Hunt for the Wilder People on this podcast, and um, this is another film from Taika Waititi. So, uh, I'm excited to dive in. I'm excited to hear Sarah's thoughts, uh, especially after hearing all of hers of Hunt for the Wilder People. This will be an interesting <laughs> episode. <laughs> Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary for Jojo Rabbit? Yes. A young boy in Hitler's army finds out his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their home. Okay. And now your own summary of Jojo Rabbit. Mine is the cheeriest film about Nazis ever made. <laughs> probably very accurate. Probably one of the cheeriest depictions of Hitler as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine is offbeat, warm, and dangerous, all baked into one. Yes, it is. All of those things. <laughs> so I am so curious, Sarah, what were your thoughts about Jojo Rabbit. So I, uh, when I first saw the trailer for this movie, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. This looks incredible. And then I saw who wrote it and directed it. And I went, oh no, I don't like his movies. And so I was very, very conflicted even before seeing it because (laughs) I, I wanted to see it because I thought that I would like it but I don't like his films. So Mm -hmm. I didn't think that I would like it. And so I I was very, very nervous walking into this movie. And it it makes for lots of curiosity from me (laughs) for who will win this battle. The intrigue of current present Sarah or the Sarah that knows all of the director's other films. Only one will win. We are about to find out, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) There can only be one winner. And the verdict um, is? The verdict is that I really enjoyed this movie. <gasps> oh my gosh. Plot I twist, was all right. Shocked. Um, <laughs> I did not enjoy parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the whole, this was a movie that had a lot to say. And what I was really nervous about, especially in the first half or so um was just uh how how thick they were laying on the comedy and a lot of it was a type of comedy that I don't particularly enjoy so I thought that it would be too funny throughout and there wouldn't be um like a really like a clear focus and there wouldn't be a clear message to take away from this but it was actually a really well done satire. And there was a lot that was really, really um, rich about this film. And there were a lot of different subjects that it, it dove into and talked about, and it was able to frame it in, in using the, the, the lens of a, of a child who wanted Hitler to be their best friend. Like it's such a, a ridiculous premise. Mm. And they were able to add such whimsy and wonder to this truly awful time in the history of humanity. And there, it was a very thoughtful film and I didn't think that it was going to be that at all. Yeah. I, I was bracing myself going to this movie because from (laughs) some of the stills, I didn't watch the trailer for this, but from the premise from the director And from some of the still images and movie posters, I was like, this is either going to be a painful two hours of needing to endure this, or it's going to be absolutely delightful. And I think there there are parts of this film that I didn't care for. um, But on the whole, what I love about um, what this director did uh, with this film and what he also did with Hunt for the Wilder People is he infused these moments of such warmth and sweetness and humanity amidst a totally chaotic adventure and um, ridiculous scenario and I I find that those really human gentle sweet moments just warm my little heart so much that um, I'm 
I'm okay with being on this crazy ride. And the film did a lot of really smart things, which we will dive into. But um, on the whole, I was I was quite impressed because I was really prepared to hate a lot of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think he did a he did a great job. I I was thinking about how this film is kind of like, and a lot of his films are like this. It's kind of like the experience of trying sushi for the first time. You're like, I've never had anything like this, the texture, the taste, and I'm not sure how I feel about it quite yet, but I can know that it is very different and new and fresh and creative. And I I really, I love that he is willing to take these chances and that we are still getting films like this that feel fresh and unique and authentic. Um, So just the fact that this movie exists and is out there, I'm already a big fan of and I I was trying to think of the last good satire that I've seen and it's been it's been a while Mm -hmm. um I I feel like they're just not made anymore and maybe those that people try to make are not made well but this was a really really well-made satire and Mm -hmm. to be able to use humor and a ridiculous premise to bring attention to all of these important macro themes um, was really, really well done. And, you know, like you, I'm really, really glad that this film exists. I feel like it's a, it's an important one to see, which is another thing that I, I don't know that I've ever said that about a comedy. Mm hmm. Yeah, and it, it's kind of a risky endeavor that he set out to do with this premise mm-hmm. and doing it in this way. I think it easily could have felt, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A little bit blasé and a little like he's... Um, yeah, like making light of Making it. light of that something that was incredibly tragic and really... Um, really near and dear to a lot of people's hearts and affected them deeply. Um, and he, he was able to infuse so all this humor and yet still have this level of respect and um, seriousness for certain moments in all of the right places that it needed to be. And then he was able to make light of the things that um, uh, he felt could be um, accepted by people. And I think that that discernment there is probably a challenging and very delicate thing to do. Yeah, they they did a good balance between the the humor and the the serious notes of the film. Um, I I was really worried that they would be too heavy handed and that it would just be a straight comedy, mm-hmm. but it wasn't at all. Yeah, and I I think um, a big part of why I think it worked is that in those serious moments, um, because of the tenderness and the, the warmth that the characters brought to the screen and with each other, um, those could land really well. Um, cause you could see these bridges being built, um, slowly with, with the different characters on screen. And, um, I think that helped usher in those serious moments a little bit easier than if we just were to like hit, hit the brakes and pause um, for a moment like that. It was, it felt very natural given the types of characters, these two young children. Um, I think, I think that worked really well. Yeah. All of the characters work together pretty well. Like I, I loved those moments between um, Jojo and uh, his mom. Like, I, I love that she was kind of this thread throughout. And um, those moments were, it, they were so complex. Some of them were super, super sweet and tender. And then other moments, they were really funny and she was being playful. And then other moments, like you could see the deep hurt in both of them. And their relationship was so dynamic and so complex and it was just one of the relationships that you saw on screen like the fact Mm -hmm. that he was able to cram so much character development 
so much complexity in these main characters into this film and create this um, this <laughs> whole world at the same time. I, it was quite a feat to be mm -hmm. able to do all that they did in this one film. Yeah, because a lot of those moments between Jojo and his mother are they don't spend a lot of time. It's not like they had a lot of time to build that up. Um, but in a, they were very efficient with it. And it, I think that mm -hmm. speaks to a lot of the effectiveness of their ability to observe and then portray those character dynamics and switch so quickly between them um, so well. And when you were talking, I was thinking of that scene where um, they're at the dinner table and there's kind mm -hmm. of a tense moment where he... He's, he's, he says that he wants his father and they go from anger to um, reconciliation to dancing together over the course of like five minutes in that scene. Um, and those mood shifts fe don't feel rushed or out of place. They feel very natural um, and sweet and tender between the two of them beginning to soften their hearts back again with each other. And so... Um, yeah, the efficiency there is, is very impressive. <laughs> uh, yes, it was a very efficient. <laughs> Maybe that's the, that's not oh, the right so word, good. but it's the word that is continuing to come to mind. No, I just love that we both will watch a way. film and be like, "Oh yeah, that's efficient." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it says more about us than anything else, huh? Yep, sure does. <laughs> um. So. One of the things that I immediately felt that this film was going to be promising um, is in the opening scene and we are kind of building up to <laughs> Jojo being asked to kill this rabbit. Mm -hmm. And I just, the whole time that scene was unfolding, was thinking to myself, this is such a smart character moment because They've, they've hyped it up. There's this tension rising. And we as the viewers know that whatever this kid decides to do, either to give in or not give in, to, to be brutal or not, is going to tell us so much about this boy and then is going to lead us straight into this journey of how he does or doesn't change and sticks to that um, tenderness that's inherent within him. And I thought that was so smart and so effective to do um immediately there's this this sense of this is gonna this is an important character moment and it's gonna like hit, we're gonna just hit the ground running right after this um so i i loved that opening scene specifically yeah i think um i think what got me at first and I was still, I was very, very trepidatious for the first <laughs> half of the film. But I think what, what hooked me initially was just how they filmed certain things. Um, like, um, like the, the, how, how you watch him like getting ready and putting on his uniform. Like <laughs> that was super interesting to me. And like the set of his room, I was like, oh my God gosh, if this is what we're going to be working with for this whole movie, like <laughs> I'm here for it. Just don't screw it up. Um, and so I think just the, the unique visuals and the, the color palette that you would never expect in a film <laughs> that's taking place during world war two, like it, it's so bold and so original and so yeah. playful. And it was it was just a joy to watch what was going on on the screen. Yeah, it felt that fresh. There was a freshness yeah. about this that I haven't felt in a while. Um, and I, I loved it. It was sharp and it was fresh and it was sensitive and intuitive. Yeah, totally agree. Um, you mentioned the color palette and I was surprised by um, some really beautiful shots that were included in this film. Um, mm -hmm. The one that just is seared into my mind is uh, the there was a shot where Jojo and his and Scarjo are riding their bikes and yes. they're having a grand old time. And there's this one shot where 
about two thirds of the screen are just the green grass and then you see their silhouettes riding by and it's beautiful. I loved that shot. And there were so many moments like that too, mm-hmm. where, where they were not the focal point of the shot. Like yeah. you could take that shot and frame it as a still and hang it on your wall. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, there's some good ones in here. And I was pleasantly surprised by them. I wasn't expecting it, but there were some that were like really caught my attention. I think I was, I was so interested in their home and mm-hmm. how every room was decorated so differently. And there was always something new to look at. So I was, I was constantly like, okay, what's on this wall? Like, what can we learn about this (laughs) scene based on what's like positioned in the background? Cause everything was so intentional. It it felt to me like, like a Wes Anderson film, like the way that he. I was thinking that. mm -hmm, Did you get like super moonrise kingdom vibes in the beginning, like 20 minutes? Oh yeah. 100%. Oh God. There's no way that wasn't um, intentional. <laughs> <laughs> but like both of them are, are very, very specific, especially when it comes to like sets. Yeah. Um, and so every, every piece had meaning and every piece was intentionally chosen to go right there so that you could see it in that scene. And I just adore that. Yeah. And he has this really Taika Waikiki, Waititi, not Waikiki, Waititi, <laughs> not the city in Hawaii, um, has this really unique ability to take me places that I feel like I've never been before. Um, he did this with Hunt for the Wilder People where you just, you feel like, I don't remember the, the name of the family, um, but the place that Ricky Baker gets sent to at the beginning, that little house with the aunt and, and uncle. Um, it just feels like somewhere in some fairy tale land that I have never been in any other previous film. And um, this house that Jojo lives in and um, just all of the different rooms and the quirkiness of it just felt like somewhere new that I have never been before. And that is always kind of an exciting and thrilling feeling. And I wanted to spend time there, even though I didn't want to spend time in that setting. Like, mm-hmm. But I wanted to be in that house. I wanted to be with these characters and learning more about, okay, what are you going to do? How are you going to navigate this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, one of the other shots that I thought was so effective and like really packed in so much meaning without being very heavy handed with it was, um, the shot of his mother's shoes when he discovers that she has been hung. Oh my goodness. That is straight up like Coen brothers show. Don't tell visual storytelling because you feel the weight of that moment almost more because you cannot see her at all. Um, and he set that up so well because there were so many shots previously where we got close-ups of her shoes dancing when she was full of life and joy. And to then see again a shot of her shoes cl- very close up, um, lifeless, felt so much more tragic than any shot of her body or her face or any of that wrangled mess. Um, it, it it could it was able to say so much with with being such a s- s- close up simple shot and i was like oh i need to jot this down cuz we need to talk about it when we review this <laughs> so can we retroactively put a spoiler alert before that oh true <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i guess if you haven't seen jojo rabbit yet <laughs> <laughs> Uh, go see it now. <laughs> yes, I will leave this in and I will put in a spoiler alert. But it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, we didn't think to do that, huh? Plot nope. twist. Plot twist. That's kind of an important moment. 
<laughs> yeah, that was one of those moments where I I didn't think that he would go there. I didn't think that he would kill off the mom because it's a comedy and it's focused on this 10-year-old. And then when he did it, I was like, yes, you went there. It's yeah. so good. Yeah. It was so powerful. And the way that he did it, like you said, he set it up so perfectly that you knew what happened. And we didn't need to we didn't need to see it. We yeah. all we needed was the shoes. And then to see that little child actor <sighs> just devastated. It was so effective, so well done. Yeah. And and so much more than I expected from this movie. And this is a great example of uh, YTT taking the time that is needed to pay the respects to this thing that historically is far more tragic than this film portrays. Um, This was his nod and he gave enough time for us to sit with it and to, to pay that respect before we moved on and the plot moved forward. And that discernment is, is really, really delicate and well done. Yeah, and, and the fact that Jojo sat in his grief, too, like, yeah. he, I feel like in a, in a lot of films, like, grief isn't something that a character really processes through. Um, it's, it's like, oh, this sad thing happened. And then the whole point of the film is that you rise above it. It's just another obstacle for you to conquer. But here, like he was truly affected as any child would be. And you could see that his actions and his behavior changed because he was acting out of a place of hurt. And he didn't know how to handle those complex emotions. And it felt so real for for a 10-year-old to be dealing with something like that. Like it was a very real portrayal of that, I thought, mm-hmm. um, which was just another layer of how impressed I was with, with uh, YTT. And it, it felt very in line with his, what we already have spent time getting to know about this little boy and his character. Like you see him um, running through the forest and, and like being big and outspoken and grandiose in so many ways so the fact that he's responding with action in this moment also feels very in line with with his rambunctiousness as a 10 year old boy um and it was interesting to see that also the way that his mother's death also still influences him in in maybe other ways like it's being manifested in other ways i'm thinking about the ending scene where he lies to her about who won. Yes. And oh, it's so still, yeah, it's still coming from that root place of feeling the loss of his mother and wanting to not have to face life alone and to be, to have that companionship and that intimacy and tenderness with this girl. And he's wanting to hold on to that and protect it. Um, but it's, it's not changed. It's no longer that initial anger and rage and bitterness but it's manifesting itself in this more um in a softer but more uh lonely and deeper kind of way so that that was very very smart yeah that was that was a moment that really impressed me because I feel like a lot of films would have been like oh, okay, now he's going to do the right thing initially and it's going to be great and whoop, all done. And the fact that they made it so that he he lied and he chose to be selfish and to unintentionally hurt this girl, it's so human. Mm -hmm. You know, we we don't get it right a lot of the times, no matter our age, especially if we are dealing with intense trauma like that um and so that just real raw humanness on the screen is is something that I I hope that we see more and more of and it was great to to see that contrast with the first time we really 
see a defining character moment from him at the very beginning. Like immediately when he, he lied there, I was thinking back to that opening scene where we saw him as this really merciful, kind, tender, young little boy. Um, and it was cool to have those two bookending this film to show that like we got to know this character this way. We saw a whole bunch of things that he did that was not great throughout the rest of the film. Um, and he's still flawed and it's okay. The other thing that was interesting about the ending is that once he lied to her, I was my first thought was, oh my god, is this film going to end with him keeping her in there? Because that would be so problematic and I would be so upset. <laughs> so I appreciated that he almost self-corrected himself and uh, had this whole premise of we're going to go to Paris and I'm going to help you escape, knowing full well that she was going to find out. And I thought that was a really great moment for him to also be redeemed to us, even in the midst of um, that mistake of him lying to her. And she she finally finds out the truth. And so we're kind of left still at this like peaceful moment where things are things are right in the world, for lack of a better phrase. And I love that he he positioned himself as the hero. Um, <laughs> like, oh, okay, you're still in danger. But you know what? I'm going to get you out. I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to swoop in and save the day. And in the end, it wasn't true. But um, And he knew. He knew. <laughs> she was oh, yeah, he out. knew. But it didn't matter because they still ended up having this really joyful moment. Like, it didn't matter that yeah. he had lied to her or, you know, that she could have been freed however many days earlier. Like just the fact that she was free and could go and could dance and be like, that was enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that ending moment where they're just, and they don't break out into dance too. That's the other thing I loved about it is that they, they slowly started bobbing a little mm -hmm. bit, swaying back and forth <laughs> until they felt like, okay, yes, let's full on break out and into into dance. And I liked that it wasn't this snap of a finger moment for them to just like go nuts. Because I think it it this portrayal is a lot more realistic. It's probably what I would have done too. It's like, okay, wait, it's, it's okay for us now to dance? Like, really? This is real? Okay. All right, I'm going to sway a little more. <laughs> <laughs> well, and just even like the, the awkwardness of being... <laughs> she's what 16 or 17 and he's 10 like those are those are awkward ages and so if they were to just come out and you know dance up a storm like that wouldn't be authentic to those ages either while they're still trying to figure out who they are and how to be comfortable in their own skin mm -hmm. so even that was such a realistic portrayal yeah this would have this is not a broadway musical no. moment <laughs> For them to go dancing through the streets, swinging around light posts. <laughs> yeah, this is not singing in the rain. No, but it is. Yeah, you're right. It's a great example of um, how Waititi knows his characters and he knows them well and knows exactly what they would do in certain moments. There is that ending is a great example of how he is able to infuse this warmth and sweetness without having to say or do a lot. Um, and I, it's one of the things I really, really love about his films. Um, and I think I was thinking about this while watching this film. I was like, why are these moments like so like extra sweet to me? And I think that they're part of it is because they're sprinkled on this backdrop of absolute ridiculous, ridiculousness and such larger than life characters that when we do get that little nugget of tenderness and of real humanity being displayed and um, such sweetness, it it feels like it's there's a greater contrast, and so that's perhaps why it feels extra sweet to me. Um, but I I love all those tiny little moments that he infuses in there. And in this film, like it was it was just the right amount. I feel like he wasn't too heavy handed with 
with those. Um, and, and I feel like with this, it, it could have been easy to be, to get a little too much because, you know, you want to make this really, really dark time seem better and you want to make it better for this kid and your empathy might be going, but he, he didn't, he knew the right places to have those tender moments and mm -hmm. that they needed to be counterbalanced with the, the darkness and the fear and the horror of what was actually going on around them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was like, let's sprinkle this gem, but put it on a backdrop that is rough and ragged and, um, difficult or outrageous and, um, bright and you know and and so that that moment can be shining against this backdrop whereas I think what happens in a lot of other films is that we have this backdrop just like normal life and there's these moments of tenderness but that contrast isn't as is, isn't there as much and so I think it it doesn't um, land as as fully as it does in, in like these types of movies Hunt for the Wilder People does a lot of the same things it's like rah rah adventure and and people's faces are turning into hamburgers and absolute ridiculousness and then there's these quiet moments between uh i think his name was heck and ricky that are just so earnest and sweet and then we're back to the like rah rah adventure again you lost me at people's faces turning into hamburgers do what <laughs> do you remember this they were in the forest and they were really hungry and Ricky is looking around and um the dog like turns into a stack of pancakes or something like that and then Heck's face turns into a hamburger a talking hamburger yep nope I remember none of that <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that would have probably sounded absolutely ridiculous then if you had no idea what I was talking about. I'll have to find That's clips why you of lost those. me. Yeah, you were like, did we watch the same movie? Or yeah, was, was Jen wondering. on something? <laughs> it was one of those, like, another instance of we watched two very different films when we watched that movie. Maybe this is why you didn't like it. You missed the talking hamburger scene. There it is. It really That's would have changed problem. your perspective. With... Oh, yeah. I think not. <laughs> nope. Still probably wouldn't have liked it. <laughs> so I'm curious how you felt about the boy. About Jojo? Yes. I, uh, I don't know. I, I struggled with him quite a bit. It was like, you're lucky that you're a kid and you're cute. Um, <laughs> but it's... He... I think my, my biggest struggle is tangentially related to the child. Okay. Um, my biggest struggle is I didn't understand how he gained the views that he did. Uh, okay. I might have missed it. It could have been in there somewhere. But to have your mother be such an activist and, you know, hiding a Jew in your house and then the kid is in, he wants to be a Nazi. He wants to be Hitler's best friend. Like I, I struggled with that, that dissonance. I, I didn't understand how he could be from the activist mother. I think that was my biggest problem. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is another Sarah moment right underneath the uh, Sarah moment. Where <laughs> I think you had a, a lot of qualms for, why Ricky Baker and Hunt for the Wilder People wasn't in school. Yes. <laughs> it's very bothersome. He should be in school. What the hell? <laughs> you went on a is important. You went on a whole long rant about what kind of system are we living in that this little boy doesn't need to go to school. Exactly. <laughs> I still stand by that. I can see your point, but I didn't I didn't dwell on it as much as you did clearly. <laughs> I was moving on to the talking hamburgers <laughs> off in some other distant land. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was a little bit odd too. And I was wondering like, ScarJo, we need to, we need to set this kid down and like 
kind of shape his 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 viewpoints a little bit more. Um, but I, I, my impression is that he is going to those camps, and I think that's where he's learning a lot of this stuff. And in school, like I mean, okay. propaganda during World War II was very very mm-hmm. strong and very convincing, and like for years the propaganda machine had been working to indoctrinate people in the various countries to believe that, you know, Nazis were good and blah, 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 blah. But even with that, like the whole film, I was trying to reason my way through it. And like, how could he be that determined and that convinced as a 10 year old Mm -hmm. when your, your mom is the complete opposite. Like, I just, I couldn't get there. (laughs) I think one of the scenes that I really loved that kind of tries to address this a little bit and, again, shed a lot of light onto that conformist mentality and the desire to belong, that is is what a lot of that propaganda is playing into. Um, It's a scene where the girl tells him something along the lines of, you are a little boy who is obsessed with swastikas and wants to be just part of a club. And she says, like, you are not a Nazi. Um, And I thought that was really interesting and fascinating. It's kind of like, well, this is vastly different, but it's, it's, I think she was trying to get it. It's the equivalent of, like, little kids running around, um, wanting to play like cowboys and Indians and fight the bad guys or, um, you know, be a Jedi and fight evil. Like they, it's just been so twisted. Um, but she, she's kind of disarming his whole, uh, mentality and, um, viewpoints on it by saying like, you're just, you, you want to be part of something cool. And like, this is what you've been told is the, the thing to do. Um, which I thought was really interesting. And I think that that point stood out to me so strongly because it's such a, an impressive commentary on where we are today. Yeah. Like it's, it's sad that we live in a world where Nazis still exist. They just, they look different, but so much of that, you know, whatever camp we find ourselves in, you know, is, is out of this sense of wanting community and wanting to belong. And I think that we often forget that. Like, mm-hmm. obviously, Nazi behavior is inexcusable. It's awful. It's disgusting. It should not exist in the world that much hatred. But these people want community and they want a sense to belong. And that's how people are indoctrinated yeah. is you know, they, they see this close-knit community where they're accepted and then they begin to adopt these really, really twisted beliefs. And so I, I love that this film was able to to depict that through a little boy. Like, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to feel so empathetic for this child and, and be so um, shocked that he would feel this way. And had it been an adult, we wouldn't have had the same empathy or the same reaction. Mm-hmm. But because it was a kid, we could take the time to understand him and like walk through this process with him. Yeah. And take some of those like inherent desires that are probably much simpler for a young child, but up level them up to at the root. It's we want to have purpose and belong somewhere. And if this place is telling me this so strongly, then I begin to to get sucked into that and follow that. I think one of the opening scenes where he's he's lying next to his BFF and they've got their little knives out and they're talking about wanting to kill a Jew. It's, in my head, I was like, this is not any different than like a little little kid being like, I want to kill Darth Vader because I'm Luke Skywalker. And it's just what we have conditioned and told them and that becomes the reality but it's it's far more understandable why um they've been conditioned and have been led to believe that this is inherently good and this is not and there's some um moments like that where he's talking about how 
he's writing in his little book that they like Jews sleep upside down like bats and they can read people's minds like this kid has no idea what he's talking about um but he's been told this truth and that is his reality Mm -hmm. yeah and it it makes me wonder like how many things like that are are out there in the world you know Mm -hmm. like how many how many things have we heard that aren't true but we accept as fact and then we base our decisions off of that and and what could bad information like that or or propaganda that's out there what decisions could we be making based off of that that really aren't good decisions what could we be missing out on because we we placed our faith in the wrong i don't know source of material or source of truth mm-hmm. and just things that we've been conditioned from a young age as this is how it is and or this is how this should be um that we haven't been able to question yet i mean i think we we talk a little bit about this often um on the podcast about the just the power of film and i'm not saying that romance movies are propaganda by any means but (laughs) (laughs) we are often communicating through film and through television what a what does love look like and what is a good love story and what do we celebrate as being a beautiful love? And for a lot of folks or for um, young people, that's their understanding and that's what they aim for and that's what they believe as truth. Um, and it's usually <laughs> uh, through many mistakes and whatnot that you realize that there's far more to it than what I have been told or what we as viewers have been told. Romance movies, the new propaganda. <laughs> uh, Nicholas yeah, Sparks spreading all oh, kinds of no I'm just Lord. Kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um so what else uh from this film really stood out to you that we haven't mentioned yet? I here's here's another question for you. Okay. Were you at all wanting more about the sister and the dad and what had happened to this family. You know, I actually didn't need more information. I wasn't, I maybe had crossed my mind at some point to think about what, what happened to them. Um, I, I kind of guessed or assumed that he had also been kind to the Jews and that is why he has now disappeared um and that I I assumed that he was dead and he wasn't off fighting um Mm -hmm. I'm not sure about the sister but I didn't have more questions no did you oh I was so bothered (laughs) (laughs) I needed I needed more information oh interesting why so uh I mm. So with the dad, again, this plays into my equation of how did this child become this way? Because first I was like, oh, yeah, he's a good guy, too. And that's why he was killed. And that's why we don't talk about it. But then I'm like, okay, if you got two parents who are for the Jews, how do you end up with a Nazi loving kid? So then it's like, okay, well, maybe he was also a Nazi. And maybe he is he is off fighting and he is, you know, part of the reason why Jojo is so obsessed with, you know, this culture. Maybe he, maybe he was a Nazi and he died in war. So then Jojo is seeing Hitler more as a dad. Like I went through all of these different scenarios to try and reconcile this dissonance that was happening. And I couldn't come up with a satisfactory explanation. Um, and then what about the sister, the sister? Yeah. She was even more confusing for me yeah, because know. you know right off the bat that she's dead. But then Jojo is talking about how like nobody knows that she's dead. And yeah. so I'm like, okay, well, how does that happen? How does a teenage girl fall off the face of the earth and nobody notices? I'm so confused. So I needed more information about these people and what happened. Do you need the like the deleted scenes? I did. <laughs> cut of this I where sure they mentioned did. like one line about what happened. 
Yes. That, and that's it. I just needed one more line about each that clearly showed what happened. And we'd be good. Hmm. But yeah, those that distracted me quite a bit. Because I was trying to figure it out. Like, oh, are they going to tell us? What is there a clue somewhere hidden that I have to uncover? Uh, I was so bothered. You know the dog and up? Yes. That's like Doug. squirrel. <laughs> no, that's not where I was going with this. But I feel like there's this thing that you latch onto and then you just go running off in that direction like a dog. And the movie's still happening over here. But here's Sarah <laughs> like chasing this thought in her mind of like, what are all the possibilities behind this backstory? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I just important. wonder. I'm, I, I have no answers for you. I know. And I know that I'm in the anomaly. And you most are. people would not care. And they're like, tra-la-la-la-la. We're following JoJo. This is fun. And some of those moments are happening when this the film is quite tense. So I was just wrapped up in that whole thing when... Uh, whatever her name is, the, the little girl is pretending to be the sister. Mm-hmm. I was captivated by the fact that she's going for it and, oh, my God, is she going to be discovered? But I think you went down a different rabbit trail. <laughs> See, I was just so excited that um, Stephen Merchant was in it. I was like, oh, my gosh, you're so good. Yes. <laughs> Please be in this role. I want to see you as much as possible. And then oh Sam God. Rockwell entered. And I was like, oh, I'm here for yes. this scene. This is great. <laughs> what did you think about the the moment at the end where Cap- Captain, whatever his name is, Sam Rockwell's character, um, takes JoJo's jacket off? calls him a Jew so that he can be free. I loved it. I was like, oh, I that's wonderful. I, I We needed it. We did. We did. And especially, like, that's what I was wondering at the beginning was, okay, like, it's Sam Rockwell. He's a very, very famous actor. How can they have him be an evil Nazi throughout like they're not going to be able to pull that off they're gonna have to have some redeeming moments for him throughout (laughs) and and they were well timed and well executed yeah yeah that that moment was again one of those moments where I'm like oh my gosh we've just watched so much destruction and shooting happen Mm mm-hmm and this sweet little moment comes bubbling up and it is it is really, really beautiful. Um, I loved it. So good. <laughs> he does that. YTC does that. You're just like, oh my God, I just got punched in every direction. Oh, but I'm going to stroke you now so that you feel warm and cuddly. <laughs> um. Thoughts on Scar Jo? We haven't talked about her much yet. I thought she did a good job. Um, I had just as a as an overarching issue with the film, I had a problem with a lot of the accents used throughout. I knew you would. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, I struggled, um, <laughs> and at, at moments, hers was good. But then sometimes it would start to sound like really, really French. And I'd be like, "Mm, well, that's not the same country, but okay. Um, But I think that she she played his mother so well. And she was able to balance those moments of of whimsy and joy with those moments of of, um, seriousness and danger and terror. Like, really, really well. I, I enjoyed her performance overall. I did well. I thought she brought the right level of warmth to the film. Um, and her, ugh, there's some really sweet moments with her and Jojo as well. Um, them riding their bikes. And I think we needed those. Um, well, one for that gut-punching shoe yeah. shot. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, I think, to show Jojo's arc as well for him to 
learn that level of empathy and and kindness and mercy from his mother. Like, I think she was necessary for that. Oh, yeah, completely. She was such an important plot device and his moral compass. Yeah, agreed. Okay, is there anything else that we haven't mentioned yet that we wanted to talk about? Another thing that I really appreciated was, and I feel like it was kind of subtly peppered throughout, but mm-hmm. the the shifting um, uh, the shifting purposes of war uh, mm. throughout. Because at first it was, you know, you know, you're against the Jews, and then it got to a point where it wasn't that anymore, and it's like, oh well, the Russians are coming, and the Russians are the evil ones, and they just went down the line as <laughs> as the the enemy, you know, grew in closer to them, and I I feel like so often, I mean, war unfortunately is a reality in our society, and yeah. I think that this even pointed out that when you're in the middle of it, sometimes your original purpose um, shifts along the way. And it's really easy for us as an outsider to be like, well, what the heck, bro? Like, that's that's not okay. That's not what we started out with. Um, but when you're in it, it, it makes sense because you're just fighting to survive. Yeah, and I, I appreciated that they were able to... to- to land that point without being too heavy handed about it and put too yes. much focus on it. It was like kind of in these <laughs> little conversations between Jojo and his BFF and these like two little boys talking about it. But we mm-hmm. are very much able to still like understand what the point is and what they're, the film's trying to say. Um, but it's just done in a way that is, it's not spelling it out for you. It's mentioned, you get it. And it's through these like two bumbling little boys walking through the streets yeah it was it was subtle and you could you could pick it up if you wanted to pick it up and you could leave it if you wanted to leave it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly this film got a lot of good laughs from my theater i'm curious about yours well here's the thing did you go to the early one i went to the early one like 8 (laughs) a.m Well, it wasn't 8 a.m. I want to say it was like 10 a.m. Oh, okay. Um, but still, I mean, it was morning. But there were only three other people in my theater. Oh, no. They were all teenagers, which... Interesting. It was it was shocking for them to be awake at that hour. Um, but, yeah, they... So there wasn't a lot of laughter in my theater because there were okay. so few of us. <laughs> You could only hear the sound of your own laughing, likely. <laughs> and um, I'm I'm not a I'm not a loud laugher. Usually, I'm a silent laugher, which is not helpful in a in a theater with only four people in it. <laughs> I my theater was also pretty empty. Um, I would say there's maybe seven of us. Uh, I saw this at 12 p.m., so a little a little crazier than 10 a.m. Uh, a little more wild. <laughs> but there were some good laughs that this movie sparked in some of the folks in my audience. Like, I'm saying, like, audible chuckles. And so it was kind of delightful to watch this movie in that context and hear some of the moments that landed really well for folks in my theater and others that, like, they, did, they just didn't find as funny. Or maybe they were silent laughters, too. It could be. You got to watch out for the silent laughers because <laughs> we're enjoying ourselves. You might just not just know. Don't know. No, it's a mystery. Who yeah, flying under the radar. Did you find this film funny? Um, at not the points that I was supposed to find it funny. <laughs> okay. Um, like the the overt comedy was not enjoyable to me. Um. But there were there were certain moments that I did find humorous. Um, but yeah, there I hate it. I hate it so much in films where they you know that they're like ramping you up for a joke. 
mm-hmm. or they're ramping you up to laugh. And I'm just like, no, nah, don't set me up like that. I don't appreciate that. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to laugh at that. Um, and so there, there were a lot of those moments earlier in the film. Especially and, with a lot of the, the Adolf scenes. Yes. Yeah. Like, and oh, I didn't, okay. I didn't enjoy a lot of those. I didn't like yeah. rebel Wilson at all. Um, I, I could have, I, I know why those were there and I feel like they had to be there, but I, yeah. The I funniest enjoy. character to me that I found I got such a kick out of was Jojo's BFF. That kid was, was so cute. So adorable. And I think I, the moments that I found funny were when it was him or Jojo just saying something that's absolutely ridiculous but they don't realize it at all. Like they are so self-serious and it's so endearing, but also so funny. Cause you're like, kid, that's just wrong, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I loved um, like Elsa's sarcasm and her yeah. playing tricks on Jojo. Like I thought that that was really funny. Sam Rockwell had some funny moments. Um, Steven Merchant had some funny moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like a, a lot of the parts that I found humorous were, were more towards the middle or the end, um, mm. that it was the more subtle moments of comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know for me at least how much the Adolf scenes added to the film. Like I'm trying to think about if they were stripped down or less frequent how would this film be different for me I'm sure it would change in some way but I didn't get a lot out of those um I think they were supposed to be like those lighter moments of comedic relief for us to catch our breaths before I keep plodding forward but when I think about this film those are not the ones that come to mind at all that made an impression what about you I I didn't take a lot from them, but I think that they were necessary because they helped you understand Jojo's inner monologue. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I feel like those were important for pushing the plot forward and for helping you understand the protagonist, but I didn't really find them funny. I, the, the only, I remember the one where he had the, the Indian headdress on and that was just so ridiculous. And then I remember the one where he talked about like eating a unicorn because it was just so like out of left field. I was like, whoa, what the hell? Where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't enjoy those scenes. Yeah, I didn't either. But you're right. They're probably like there would have to be something different if we were to take those out to still, for us still to fully understand like where's Jojo's head at right now. Mm -hmm. And then him being fed these things that he's been taught and then that being infused into the next actions that he takes. Um, Yeah. And, and again, like those scenes were, were an efficient use of time because it, it shows you the, the character's inner monologue and what he's feeling and grappling with. And it pushes the plot forward and it's comedic relief for those who enjoy that type of humor, like all rolled into one little scene. Yeah. So again, a very efficient use of, of screen time. I, I, yeah, I think I'm just, I was just annoyed with it. I'm like, leave this kid Mm -hmm. alone. (laughs) He's making progress. He's building empathy. Don't feed more lies into his head. God. Leave him alone. And I, I think that's that's also that's what you're point. supposed to yeah. feel. Is very much like, oh God, this guy again. Like at first, it's kind of like, oh man, this is his just like imaginary best friend. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, this kid's a little screwed up, but it's it's fun and whimsical. We'll see what happens. And then yeah. by the end, you're like, oh my gosh, no, like, get away. I feel like exactly. um, uh, J Law in. Uh, mother, I'm like, get out of my house. <laughs> Leave. A very different type of film. Invited guest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. That is part of the point. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Any last thoughts? I think the only other thing that like really stood out to me was um, was the score. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. It it added so much. Um, I feel like the the score and the set and the costuming like it just brought a warmth and a richness to this film that that really helped make it as special as it as it is. Mm. Yeah, I think it it helped set the mood um, mm-hmm. for. Again, I keep going back to this this place that we've never been before, and I think it helped create that that air of we are we are somewhere different. So pay attention because the 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 rules and the context of this world are are different than what we are used to. So it helped bring us to that place for sure. All right, well. This was our review of Jojo Rabbit. Um, it will, is out in theaters still. So if you haven't seen it yet, we highly recommend seeing it. If you like some of Taika Waititi's offbeat, quirky type of um, style, this definitely falls right into that category. If you didn't like some of his previous work, you too, like Sarah, may <laughs> absolutely appreciate and um, enjoy Jojo Rabbit. So... We will be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, we hope you guys have an amazing week and we'll see you guys soon. Bye.